Hi, my name is Barry, and you're listening to Faith Over Dementia. Hi everyone, and welcome to this week's episode of the Faith Over Dementia podcast. My name is Barry, and I've been diagnosed with early onset Alzheimer's disease. Uh, before we begin this week's episode, um, I, I just want to say a few things. Um, my podcast was originally intended to be an invitation for you to come along on this journey with me, which it is, and maybe in a way understand, along with my family and friends, what it's like to live with this disease in relation to my faith. I was chatting with my wife about the podcast the other day, and I have to, because without her help, this just wouldn't be possible. Anyway, she points out to me that it's become less about faith and dementia and more about me teaching. And you know what? She's absolutely right. I guess being a former church leader, a church elder, pastor, my passion has always been about scripture, always been about the Bible. I've always loved to share what I learn as I read through my preaching and teaching. And having that removed, my consultants told me I had to give up work. It would seem that I had found another outlet for this passion now through the podcast. That being said, I do need to talk more about the challenges I face day to day and the things that I struggle with, like this podcast. It has taken me weeks to initially set it up and I needed lots of help to do it. Also, I I can't just talk straight into a microphone. You see, I forget what I'm saying, and I can forget what I'm saying mid-sentence. I get my words muddled up, so you'll perhaps notice that as I, as I talk along. And my speech can get slow and blurry. It's called aphasia. It's where the part of the brain that controls the speech gets damaged, in my case, through having Alzheimer's disease. So before I say anything, I have to write everything down. So as I study, I make notes and then I, I write out what I want to say and how I want to say it. So for me, that becomes a lot of hard work. And honestly, I love it, but it is hard work and I find it tiring. And that was another reason for me to going to publish an episode once every fortnight. That all being said, I think that through it all, though, God does sustain me. Uh, He's certainly increasing my faith through this. I'm exercising my brain. I'm thinking more. So I conclude it must be doing me good. I just need to do that with the rest of my body, I think, sometimes. Some time back, I had a meeting with the doctors and some other support workers were there just to monitor my progress and monitor my medication, that sort of thing. They told me I'm doing really well. And the bonus to the meeting was I get to talk about my faith. I get to talk about Jesus and how he sustains me. And that usually lasts for an hour or so. So I'm talking with people who don't know Jesus or have any faith. And they're constantly amazed. Having said that, 
they have discharged me now because they tell me there's nothing else they can do for me other than monitor my medication and the side effects that it has on me. Uh, but that's another story and we'll discuss that uh, at another point. I do find it difficult to talk to myself about myself. So I'm hoping to have like a questions and answers episode at some point in the future um, in conjunction with my wife because I find it easier talking to an actual person. So if you do have any questions about uh, Alzheimer's or my faith or any other questions about the podcast episodes, anything really, please do email me at faithoverdementia at gmail.com and I'll do my best to, to answer them. Anyway, back to today's episode. Uh, we're in chapter 11 of um, Genesis and I've uh, called this uh, podcast Look at the Size of That or The Tale of a Tower. And this is um, going to be part a there'll be two parts to this podcast so which will come in in the next time uh anyway you're saying hang on a minute you've skipped over a chapter from the last podcast yes i have chapter 10 chapter 10 sets out mostly in the form of lists how the descendants of noah's three sons shem ham and japheth populated the different regions of the earth there are some uh, details of special interest that are added but primarily this is a genealogical geographical passage and it's describing a process that covers a long period of time first Japheth's descendants are listed and are associated with the coastal and island regions of the mediterranean sea now Ham's descendants on the other hand receive considerably more attention than those of Japheth and Shem because among them figure many of Israel's enemies such as the Egyptians, the Babylonians, the Philistines and various other Canaanite groups. Ham's immediate sons are Cush, Egypt, Put and Canaan, or Canaan, as it should be pronounced. If you look at a map of the time, you will see that Cush and Put are the regions south and west of Egypt. So regions are named after them. Cush's father, Nimrod, who is geographically linked with Mesopotamia and the great cities of Babel, Babylon, Nineveh, Assyria, regions places and peoples that play a significant role in the bible story as we will see babel is in the land of shinar or sinar some people pronounce it part of nimrod's region whose violence and kingdom is the antithesis of what god's desire was for humanity back in the first three chapters of genesis and lastly the shem These are the people that the Israelites feel the most affinity with because Abraham was descended from Shem. Shem's grandson, Eber, is also of some significance as the designation Hebrew is derived from his name or the name Eber. 
So, with that quick synopsis of chapter 10, let's read the story of the Tower of Babel. I'm going to begin at Genesis chapter 10, verse 32, through to chapter 11, verse 9. And it says, These are the clans of the sons of Noah according to their genealogies in their nations, and from these nations spread abroad on the earth after the flood. Now the whole earth had one language and the same words. And as people migrated from the east, they found a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. And they said to one another, Come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone and bitumen for mortar. Then they said, Come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens, and let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the children of man had built. And the Lord said, Behold, they are one people, and they have all one language, and this is only the beginning of what they will do, and nothing that they propose to do will now be impossible for them. Come, let us go down there and confuse their language, so that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord dispersed them from there over the face of all the earth, and they left off building the city. Therefore, its name was called Babel, or Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of all the earth, and from there the Lord dispersed them over the face of all the earth. Okay, so let's begin by doing the usual thing. What are the problems we see, or what is it that we are noticing? Well, firstly, I notice that the people are migrating east. And what's wrong with that? Well, once again, I would ask you to remember what happened in the previous chapters. It's interesting because sometimes we don't pay attention to the geography. We read right over it because we don't actually see it as important or trying to get to the proposition of the story, what the story is about. But in fact, if you're noticing what's happening in every single story so far, the people are moving farther and farther east. For example, Adam and Eve leave the garden towards the east. Cain and his family and his lineage move eastward. And then there's Noah and the flood happens. And strangely, God brings the people back towards the west. We get a story of recreation and God brings the people back towards the west. Then the people leave the ark and they start to head east again. We then get Noah's story and his family is starting to head east. And now, here in chapter 11, all the nations of the world seem to be heading east. It's as if one of the things we keep seeing is the people continue to move further and further away from God's desire. And I think that even in, uh, appears to include geographically. If I'm honest, it's not really about 
east or west. It's about the writer of the story creating a picture for us here. And that picture here is this, that the people keep moving away from God's original intent. So moving from west to east is moving away from God's purpose or God's ritual, original intent for the people. If we let that sink in for a while, all of a sudden you start to realise that evil is really moving. Evil seems to be starting to organise and organise itself once again. Remember the word, Hebrew word for evil is ra. So ra is starting to get organised. And we've seen this before. Evil started in an individual. Then it migrated to a couple and then a family and then it became about a lineage and then it was about all of humanity even down to corrupting the earth and now evil is starting to organize itself again it's like evil is starting to become a civilization and to me it seems that this is what god is addressing here in this story so that being said what other kind of problems have we got well i noticed this whole thing seems to be about scattering the people seem to strangely worry about being scattered there in that narrative that i read but why would they even consider this to be a possibility and then god ends up scattering them anyway and then there's this whole language thing. Everybody is speaking the same language and then they're not. Now, it's interesting because we find language at the beginning. There's language at the end of the passage and there's language in the middle. But what I really want to focus on is the chiasm that's there. It's not easy to spot, but the reason I started from um, chapter 10, verse 32 is because when we look at it, we have bookends. This section is chiastic in its form. We probably should have been expecting it because every story so far has been like this. It's been uh, had a chiasm. It's been chiastic in nature. But look at 10.32, chapter 10, verse 32, as the beginning, and compare it with... Uh, chapter 11 verse 8 and 9 and you're going to definitely see the bookends of that chiasm so there's a front half and a back half and the center of the story to me ends up uh, the phrase that's in 11.4 where it talks about them being scattered all over the earth but that raises a question why is the story about being scattered well, we've been talking about how all these stories seem to parallel each other um, at one point or another. For example, Noah paralleled creation, the creation story. Noah and the curse paralleled Adam and Eve, which means the Tower of Babel should parallel what? Well, I think Cain and Abel. Now Cain's curse was that he was going to be a wanderer and being scattered or being a wanderer is the point of this story. God does not want them to settle for some reason. 
when you look at 11 4 verse uh, chapter 11 verse 4 you're going to see that the point of the tower of babel's chiasm is that god does not want his people to settle he wants them to keep wandering it uh, kind of alludes us to the garden of eden and the cherubim garden the tree of life back at the beginning again aren't we um God doesn't see, he doesn't see that God wants his people to settle and be in a fixed state away from his will. And God does not want his people to settle until they come back home. Anyway, we have what we're going to deal with here. But it's just, it just raises a question. Why would the entire point of this story be God's desire to scatter humans over the whole earth? Is God really threatened by their advances? Like there's this weird dialogue all through the story. If we don't, one of the problems I have in the story is God saying, if we don't do something, they're going to be able to accomplish anything. But isn't that what God wants for us? To be able to accomplish? Later in the New Testament, we're going to hear... I can do all things through God who gives me strength, through Christ who gives me strength. Isn't being able to accomplish anything a good thing? Wasn't that the point way back at the beginning of the story? And now it's as if, well, we can't let them accomplish anything. So why is it, this question again, why is it that God seems threatened by their advances? Well, we've looked at these parallels and note that these post-flood stories are paralleling earlier pre-flood stories. And we're going to spend a lot more time tying this all together in our next few uh, podcasts. God started the story by affirming the goodness of creation all the way back in in the Garden of Eden, in Genesis. He invited humanity to join him in trusting him. Trusting the story was what what we put on that. He invited us to join him in his rest. Adam and Eve failed to trust God. They failed to master their desires. They failed to say enough to their creativity. In a sense, they pressed down and pursued themselves. Cain, likewise, is invited to trust in God's goodness and avoid the consequences that our insecurities and our fear bring us but he fails as well then God reaffirms the goodness of creation in the story of the flood he recreates creation in a sense and you could say but then Noah steps right out of the ark and pursues revenge trying to step into the role of god trying to become the creator not knowing when to say enough not knowing when to stop destroying here we find ourselves in what seems to be an escalating narrative where man's rebellion is starting to organize itself after eating from the tree of knowledge mankind is indeed beginning to look like god but not in a way that is helpful or beneficial to God's plan. Man's rebellion started with a sense of exploration. God knows that man is not ready to 
exercise their creativity in its fullness. They haven't learned how to trust the story yet. They haven't learned how to harness their desires to rein them in. They do not know when to say enough. They will not know when to stop destroying. And so he can't let them settle. And so he scatters mankind. Now, to that end, I'm going to make a couple of more observations. The first is that this is also a story about technology they have created the brick which is a fabulous creation you cannot almost imagine the the pillar of light shining down out of heaven onto the brick this whole story is about the advancement of technology and the wonderful things we can do with technology they create a brick and they decide they're going to build a tower Now, one of the things you notice in the story, God doesn't have a problem with them building a tower at all. They say, come, let's make bricks and bake them thoroughly. The brick is not a problem because God doesn't say anything. Um, If you look at the uh, beginning of verse 4, it says, and then They said, the people say, come, let us make bricks and bake them thoroughly. God's like, great. He doesn't seem to have anything to say about them making bricks. God says nothing. Apparently, the brick is fine. God's fine with advancements in technology. So technology is not a bad thing. New innovations are not a bad thing. The thing we have to ask ourselves is how we're going to use technology. The internet, for example, is a wonderful gift, but how are we going to use it? We can use it for incredibly bad things, or we can use it for incredibly wonderful ends. Cell phones, what a wonderful creation, but how horrible they can be used. Technology isn't the problem, but it's how we're going to use it. Are we going to use it for God's redemptive ends or are we going to use it for our own selfish means? Are we going to know how to harness our desires and when to say enough? The people said, let's make some bricks and God says nothing because that's fine. Then in verse 4, then they said, come, let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens, so we may make a name for ourselves. Ah, human independence and self-sufficiency apart from God. The builders believe that actually has no... I do apologise. The builders believe that they have no need for God because their aspiration is to reach heaven alone, their own way. Just as an aside, what was Cain's story rooted in? Cain's story was rooted in his name being acquired. Here again, we have a story about acquiring and names. Just yet another parallel. But it's at this point that now God enters the story. The brick was fine, but the question remained. How were they going to use the brick? When they decided they're going to use the brick for themselves, this is when God enters a story and says, that's it. 
if they're going to keep going down this road, they're going to be able to do anything. So we're going to mix this up, which leads me to my next observation, which I find to be really interesting. Most scholars agree that the word used for Babel is a playoff of the Hebrew word for confusion. God steps in the story into the story and it's interesting to note what god does not do god does not punish them god does not condemn the work project in and of itself god doesn't do that he doesn't curse anybody this story is free of curses he doesn't deal out punishment consequences for sin what he does is he confuses all of humanity with the disruption of the language why would he do this? It's interesting to know how, in order for humanity to continue to progress as a whole, they will need to learn the language of others. You cannot learn the language of another culture or a people without learning something about their perspective. Learning the diversity of perspectives always provides one with a sense of pause and consideration. It requires a sense of learning how to control one's desires in order to reach a common goal together. In the confusion of Babel, God has not so much slapped our hands as he has given us a new redemptive project that will cause us to be the people that grow into the humanity that bears his image. This is all about bringing people together. A humanity that knows when to say enough. A people that trust the story. A people that might just find a place of rest. When God confuses the people, what he does is, the only way you're going to succeed is if you learn how to work together. The only way you're ever going to succeed is to become the people that you were created to become. And that's a selfless group of people that know how to control their desires. This isn't a punishment. This is God setting up his people for success. And the moment they want to learn this lesson is the moment that they're going to find their way back to the story. But as long as they're going to not learn this lesson, as long as they're going to be destructive, they're going to continue to sit right where they are, right where actually God wants them to be until they learn. The other thing is, and we will definitely get to this much later, but God has a very specific purpose for his people in the in, in the western portion of the world. Moving east is not going to be where God's people need to be. And for those who know your Bibles, God is going to meet a guy that's willing to actually go west. God's going to meet a guy that operates on a completely different level. God has been looking for partners this whole time. And he hasn't had a whole lot of luck finding them up to this point, to be honest. There are a lot of people that want to do it their own way. They want to do it to do their own story. Remember the song of Frank Sinatra, I did it my way. Humanity's ambition to dethrone God and make the earth its own. And that is right about the time we start to get hopeless. 
and it makes you think that humanity is never going to learn this lesson but in fact we are going to meet somebody who shows us that this can be done because this whole episode provides the call for god to find a partner who becomes the vehicle of blessing to the entire world it's an exciting story we've seen the whole world become evil but noah found favor in god's eyes but then nobody else does apparently because that's not mentioned again and noah blows it right yeah noah blows it it's gonna be an interesting journey we're just about ready to turn a really interesting page we've been invited uh, to rethink and reframe what we believe to be true about the world and what we believe god is asking us to do and that's just trust the story so i think at this point it will be a good place for us to finish for today I hope you found the podcast interesting and helpful, maybe even challenging. It should always challenge us. But in the meantime, thank you for listening. And my prayer for you is may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face towards you and in these days give you peace. Peace.